Hey, good morning, everybody. Got to get my announcement voice on. So, um, <laughs> hey, I have the privilege of announcing uh, Life Choices, uh, which is a great organi organization here in Ojai that provides services for uh, pregnant women who uh, need some help. They are having their annual fundraiser. Their their walk of compassion is going to be happening um, this Saturday at 8:30 in the morning. They make it super easy for you. You show up, you register. You walk and you pray and have a good time. So it's a great time to gather as a, a church of the valley and just everyone getting together to um, to just provide provide some help for them because they provide help for uh, those in need. Um, the amount of diapers that they give out is incredible. So they do really good work. So if you uh, want to join in on Saturday, 8:30, that's when they will be there. All right, thanks. Yes, thanks, Matt. Uh, and lastly, we've got a couple youth announcements. Uh, we will not be meeting for Bible study or youth group this week. Yes, sad. But that is because we'll be going to our apologetics conference uh, Friday and Saturday. That's right. I don't know who said that. But let's go. Uh, and just so you know, the parents know, I'll be sending an email out with uh, all the details when we're going to meet up, things to bring and stuff like that. So if you do have any questions, you can see me afterwards. You know, call me, you know, email me, things like that. Uh, and that's it for our announcements. Very short. Well, good morning. And uh, Bill, thank you for preaching God's word last Sunday. What a blessing to be gift, not just with so many uh, gifts of worship up front, but even the gift of teaching that is so evident and prevalent in this church. Amen? All right. Um, this morning we're going to continue through the book of Philippians, and we're actually going to move into Philippians chapter 4, and I thought, you know, God's timing is just so incredible. I, I love how, as we, as we walk through this letter, there are things that happen culturally and, and in the news uh, that just seem to, to just highlight right where we are, and, and it can't be manufactured, can't be, you know, planned. It's just something that came across uh, the news feed this week that I, I read an article and in the title was, in, in the website that I was at, uh, Christianity quickly diminishing in U.S., on pace to become minority religion in decades, colon study, right? And then a little paragraph, it says, a new report by Pew Research Center and the General Social Survey published Tuesday, this Tuesday, found a surge of adults leaving Christianity to become atheist, agnostic, or, quote, nothing in particular. It predicted that if the number of Christians under 30 abandoning their faith accelerates beyond the current pace, adherents of the historically dominant religion of the U.S., could become a minority by 2045. You know, I read that. Well, it must be true because it's on the internet, right? <laughs> but I read that, and I, you know, you got to take, take things like this with a grain of salt. In this case, like several grains of salt. Because they're projecting 23 years out, right? And, and if you read that, you can get all stirred up. You're like, what? What? Christianity quickly diminishing. And then, then you realize they're talking, 20, they're talking 23 years. If everything lines up according, if, 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 if. But, you know, for the clicks, they got to make it so that 
you click on it and then you get all riled up and you oh right and and i was and of course as a pastor you read that and and of course i have a vested interest in the health and well-being of christianity the church in the us you know and and i do we do keep track of attendance even here and kind of you know, keep my pulse on what's happening in the U.S. church. But I read that, and, you know, rather than getting all stirred up that, you know, there's a surge of adults leaving, you know, there might be, but by golly, this summer we had a surge show up here. I mean, there's some of you, I'm looking right now, I don't even know you yet. Good to meet you. I'm Richie. I get to be the lead here. I'm glad you're here. This summer, we've had a surge of new faces come to the well. Amen? Okay. So, we, again, it's that culture we live in of intensity, of extreme fear, extreme da 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 And if we're not careful, we get caught up in that even as the church. Because I read this, and sure, uh, you know, there might be statistical trends. Bill likes, he's, he's an analyst, he's an analytical, he's a statistician. He likes to, to look at trends. Okay, so maybe there's a trend in church attendance or whoever they're surveying, right? And it's sometimes it, I, I, I take these surveys with a grain of salt because they make these huge proclamations and then you're like, a survey of 250 people. I'm like... You surveyed 250 people, and now you're making a national proclamation that we're supposed to rally the wagon. You know, I'm like, that's 250 people, right? So, so you have to be very careful with this. Now, now, you don't just completely dismiss it because, sure, is our culture moving quickly away from the Lord and the things of Scripture? Sure. Is this a completely different generation, the under 30s, and, and their understanding of church and institutional church and, and how the gospel is presented? Is this a brand new wave of, of uh, if you want to call them millennials or whatever that is? Sure. Okay. But when I read that article, in light of where we are in Philippians 4.1, God just like, okay, just relax here. Just relax. Because in Philippians 4.1, the Apostle Paul is writing a church, a letter to the church, the Christians in Philippi, and this is what he says in Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Listen to the love. Listen to the pastor's heart here. He's, he's so loving. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, Thus in the Lord, my beloved. So it, it's so interesting. This article comes out and can stir up a whole lot of fear, anxiety, worst case scenario about the state of the church. And then we just happen to be in Philippians 4.1 where the Apostle Paul tells us to stand firm in the Lord. And it comes all the way down to you, the individual. You see, Pastorally, sure, I, I, I want to keep my pulse on the broad perspective, but I also know, honestly, the church is made up of ones. The one. Right? Remember the story? He left the 99 and went after the one. So, really, wherever the church ends up in 2045 is going to boil down to 
individual people choosing to follow Jesus. We get so caught up in, oh, and following the crowd and just being one of the sheep and following the herd, and we forget that you and I have the choice and the power through the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Amen? Regardless of what your best friend says and does regarding Jesus, regardless of what your spouse chooses, regardless of how you were raised, regardless of what happened, Today, at this very moment, before you leave here, you can choose to follow Jesus. You can choose, as he says here, to stand firm in the Lord. Amen? Okay, so I want to, you know, if you read that article and you got, oh my gosh, the church is going down the toilet, and oh my gosh, in 23 years, we're, Jesus might come back. Amen? Again, they project out, and we get all riled up, and then, and then we get so consumed. This is the social media we live in. We're so consumed with the monarchy. We're so consumed with this. We're so consumed with celebrities. We're so consumed with everyone else except us and our relationship with Jesus. And I love that because in, in, in today's verse, he says, Hey, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Right? And that word stand, it's used figuratively in the Bible. It means, in a, it's a positive sense. To stand firm in faith and duty. To be constant. To persevere. To remain steadfast. Okay? Some people look at it like a military term. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Okay? It's, a, it's what they call a present imperative, which means Continuous. So regardless of what happens 23 years from now, we are commanded in verse 1 to continually stand firm in the Lord. That's a personal choice. That's a personal decision. You make, I make, constantly throughout the day in the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't control you. You can't control me. People do what they're going to do. That's just the truth. That is... That's the double-edged sword of, of what I do for a living. We celebrate when people choose Jesus and choose to walk and choose obedience and choose faith. We also choose to experience great pain and grief and agony when people choose not, not to walk with Jesus. But the way we make peace with it here is we understand. That's why we pray so much around here because we understand at the human level we cannot control you. We don't even try to. People tend to look at elders and pastors. They want us to be the spiritual popo so that, you know, just tell me what to do. I'm like, no. This is what the Bible says you're supposed to do. But sometimes we want to be told what to do to absolve ourselves of responsibility. We would rather be told what to do, even in the context of church. Well, Pastor Richie said I'm supposed to come to church. Well, I have to then. And what you're doing is you're kind of like putting your responsibility for your life onto me. I'm not responsible for your life. You are. The Bible says we are all individually going to give an account to God. We are all going to give an account to God for our life. And so... Today's message of standing firm in the Lord, 
It's really an, a moment this morning, and, and I want to say this. When, when he says, if you could, Isaac, put that back up. When he says, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Okay, that is such a powerful pastoral expression that you really don't hear very much from Paul because usually we, we equate the Apostle Paul with the hard nose. I want to highlight that when he says, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Before we talk about what we're going to talk about in understanding and peeling back the layers of this verse, because today's message, if we're not careful, it can sound like one of these. And I don't want me to sound like this. What I'm hoping the heart of the message comes across is what he says there. The elders and pastors here, we love you. We pray for you. We celebrate you. But we're also going to tell you the truth and love of what the Bible says and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do in your heart and life. That's what we do here. So, so as we move forward, I'm going to move forward today in sensitivity and in and, and compassion and in grace because uh, that's what I've experienced from the Lord this week as I've processed this in my own life about what it means to stand firm in the Lord. Okay. Now this word stand firm, you see it in other verses. 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 2 Thessalonians 2, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And then Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so this idea of standing firm, steadfastness, holding your ground, we kind of get that, right? But the real heart and the real kind of the real meat of this verse comes in this next phrase that I'm guessing many of us just gloss right over. It's so cliche, we just pay it no mind, and we, we, don't, we, don't even, we don't even think that there might be application. When he says this, Isaac, put up 4-1 again. Therefore, my, beloved, uh, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand from thus in the Lord. In the Lord. That phrase, in the Lord, cliche just pass right by it just kind of we are called commanded actually to stand firm in the lord right now there's a positional truth if you put your faith in jesus you are positionally spiritually put in christ philippians 1 1 paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is ne- no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So at the moment of salvation, when you put your faith in Christ, positionally you are in Christ. That's why right now you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's why at this very second, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus right now. Because positionally you are in Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's who you are right at this very second. Now, most of us are thinking, well, you don't know what I did this week, and I, I, I watched this on the internet, and I said this, and I, I was impatient, and I cussed, and I did, did, did. We live in that world, 
but positionally, you are in Christ right now. Positionally, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ right now. Positionally, because God sees the righteousness of Jesus clothing you right now, he's smiling at you, Amber. Crazy, huh? The God of the universe is smiling at you and loves you because positionally, you're in Christ. Amen? Now, you're like, okay, I get that. But how does that play out? How do, how do I take that out into the real world? And if we don't get this, and if we sort of just sort of nod and assent to, oh gosh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Christ, woohoo, right? If we don't think through the practical application of being in Christ, there can be some consequences. Look at what happens. There's, there, there's an example of a guy named Demas in the Bible. In Philemon, here's what, hey, this, is, this is what it says. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So according to this verse, Demas, he was right there. He was one of Paul's boys. Maybe an elder. Maybe, he, was, he was right there. He was a co-worker. In 2 Timothy, this is what happened, though. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. In Philemon, he's listed as one of the boys, one of the fellow workers, (laughs) tending well every Sunday. Serving and ministry lead, going to men's group, went to Mexico, built five houses, celebrating him. And then in 2 Timothy, hey, Tim, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. I wish I could say that that's limited to Demas, but I've been in ministry 30 years. And this Demas scenario has played out over and over, unfortunately. I remember even in, in youth ministry, and I get it because of their maturity and everything that, we take kids to, to Hume Lake, and the Lord moves in their life, and they respond to Christ, and they're all excited, and we try to disciple them in the remaining days that we have at camp and get them set. And they're all fired up. And then they come home, and they go right back to the crowd, Friday night after Nordoff football games, party scene. And you're like, what happened? What happened? 30 years of ministry, I've had people come through different, t- different churches. I'm oh, I want to serve. I want to serve in youth ministry. I want to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that for a while, they're all lit. They're all excited. They're motivated. They're enthused. And suddenly, oh, no, I can't make it. Oh, no, something's come up. Oh, you know, yeah, gosh, you know. And suddenly, it just fizzles. And you hear through the grapevine that they're just out there having a good old time with the world and their old friends again. And so how, how, do we, how do we make this being in Christ, standing firm in the Lord real so that even myself, see, I, 
I don't put myself above Demas. I'm not careful. If I personally am not standing firm in the Lord, hey, what happened to that guy, uh, Richie? Didn't he start that church? Yeah. Yeah, he, he moved. He went back to San Diego. Just kind of just moved back. San Diego in the house, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, what happened? Wasn't he a pastor? Yeah, yeah. But he just decided, you know, just want to go pursue other things. What's he doing now? Is he in ministry? No, I, don't, I heard he's not even doing anything. I, th- I heard he's got, got a job just doing his thing, enjoying the retired life right now. I realize this. That's why this isn't a, this is more of a, I got I to gotta check my own heart in this week. Because to be standing firm in the Lord, there's a, there's a wonderful word picture because it talks about faith, trust, and really this word picture of stability. Stand firm in the Lord, meaning stable. Your stability is in the Lord. Your security is in the Lord. And so the question, the theme for the rest of our time this morning is, if you're honest, what is the source of your stability and security in your life? Now, many of you just went to Jesus, but I'm just going to ask you just, and it might be, but I'm going to ask you to be very open that it might not be just Jesus. The true source of your stability and your security as you sit here, as you listen to this, whenever you're listening to this, who or what is it? Who or what is it? Because he just says this, 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 this phrase that just goes this class. Hey, stand firm in the Lord. Okay. Let's, he's not talking about just what you believe. Oh, no, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe, we're not talking just about what you believe. We're talking about what you trust, what you really trust. Because we go right to head knowledge and reciting verses and the God. Okay, that's part of it. But what we're really asking today is, as you sit here, who or what is the source of your security and your stability? In Matthew 7, familiar story. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Two builders, two houses, two different results. Why? Foundations were different. Now externally, probably looked good. But it was the storm that revealed the foundation. See, in the church, we can look good. Got a bunch of houses in this building. Got a bunch of houses at home. It's called our life. And we dress up and it's nice. But in 30 years of ministry, I know that it's when the storms come. 
that these verses come to life. Because your response and my response to the storms and the floods and the rain in life really reveals our true foundation. Really reveals whether or not we were standing firm in the Lord or something else. Right? Two houses probably both looked really good from the outside. But we didn't know what the real foundation was, did we? Until the storms came. And so we're going to look at this today from, from the standpoint of what is, who is your source of stability and security as you sit here? Matthew 6, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 1 Timothy Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to, what? Trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We are the rich of this world. All you got to do is drive five hours across the border and realize that we live like kings and queens. We are the rich of the world in many, many ways. And so in verse Timothy, he says, hey, you know what? He's talking about not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Here again, he's, we get right to the, what is the source? What is the source? What are you trusting in for your stability and your security? Because in first Timothy, he says, hey, you know what? It better not be money because it's unreliable. And how unreliable? Just look at the stock market. Look at inflation and how much you're paying. What's happening to your bank account? Yeah, it's unreliable. Your 401k, a lot of people are worried about their 401ks. That what we thought was going to be so reliable for. We put into it for 20, 30 years. And in a blink, in a blink, you realize how unreliable it is. And so we ask ourselves as we sit here, what is the source? What is the source of stability and security in my life? And here's the kicker in this, guys. Here's the kicker. It's not necessarily bad and evil things that we're talking about. It's not. And it doesn't make you a bad or evil, wicked person. It's just we, we have to be honest came across this book this week that, that really, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart. I had not seen it before. It just happened to be in my house. And I'm like, whose book is this? And I started reading it. And it's a book by Kelly Minter titled No Other Gods. And in this book, she speaks very, just very powerfully to the, to the, the idea and the truth of idols and what she calls function functional gods in our life. See, if I say the word idol to you, a lot of you who grew up in the church go right to golden calf, right? And you're like, I don't have any idols. I got no calf in my house. What are you talking about, right? Or I'm not worshiping any idol. Mm, 
hold that thought. Because who's the source or what's the source of your security and stability? Could be, if you, want, if you don't like the word idol, how about functional God, little g? She says this, too often we profess God but look to everything else to function as him. Even perfectly good things, things that in and of themselves are pure and right and gifts from God, but have become a problem simply because of the placement they have in our lives. Ken Sand, an idol is not simply a statue of wood, stone, or metal. It is anything we love and pursue in place of God and can also be referred to as a false god or a functional god. In biblical terms, an idol is something other than God that we set our hearts on, that motivates us, that masters or rules us, or that we serve. Money, pleasure, career, success, acceptance. What really drives you? What consumes your thoughts? What motivates you? could be a functional God. That could be what's really your source of stability and security. Richard Keyes, an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols depending on our attitudes and actions. Idolatry may well come in the form of an overattachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. An idol can be a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero, anything that can substitute for God. That's weighty. And that just expands the list exponentially of what you and I might be standing firm in rather than God. Here's some lists that I came up with that challenged me. Just money, financial, financial well-being, success, material possessions, relationships. I really want to be married. I really want a boyfriend. I really want a girlfriend. Your health, job, career, pride, self-image, How about just peace in your home as a driver, motivator? Education, titles, achievements, recognition. How about this one for me? Ministry. A lot of pastors struggle with this whole thing becoming an idol. This whole thing becoming a functional God because this is where we get our esteem. This is where we get our pats on the back. And if we're having trouble in our marriages, and if our kids are out of control, well, then I start to look to ministry to meet the needs that only God's supposed to meet. And then you're wondering, like, that that pastor, how did he fall? A lot of pastors fall because their churches became their idols. A lot of ministry leaders fall because their church becomes their functional God. They're looking to the church to meet their needs that only God can fill. But it's like an adrenaline shot. It's like a dopamine shot. I come here and I get all this, oh, good job, good job. Oh, look at this place. You guys do so good. And I feel pretty darn good about myself. And so now, 
this is just an idol to me. But we hide it really well. And we hide behind the numbers and say, there's a book I have on my shelf. It's uh, liberating yourself from, liberating ministry from the success syndrome. See, one of the the challenges we have, and I've shared this before, in, in the world of pastors and idolatry and functional gods is attendance. How big is your church? The dreaded question at every pastor conference. How big is your, how many, what's your attendance, right? That, that's such a functional God statement. That's such an achievement statement, right? That's such a performance statement that the culture brought into the church, right? How big is your church as if that's a reflection, right? So what do I, I've told you this for years. I just simply say we're under a thousand, We are under a thousand, right? And I just let them walk away like, oh, dude, that's good. I'm only 500. Sorry, man. We're under a thousand. You see how easy it is to get caught up? You see how easy it is? This is the world of pastors who, 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 who battle success syndrome as much as you all do. Trying to be accepted on social media, trying to get the likes trying to measure up to your neighbors, trying to get the house still, trying to get the car, trying to, whatever it is, because that's your source of stability. That's your source of esteem. That's your source of security, right? Philippians 4.1, Paul says, hey, stand firm in the Lord. So the question again, as you sit here, what have you been standing firm in? as your stability, as your security in life. It's easy to throw rocks at Demas until we get the things of the world coming our way. Suddenly, oh, no, no, not too busy. No. And suddenly what happens is, and, and this is the challenge, okay? Tim Keller says this, what is idolatry? It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. That's the challenge. And I'm going to be very honest with you. There have been times in my life where I get these goals. I'm very goal-oriented, and I latch onto something, and I'm just all in. And sometimes these projects of mine require vast amount of times, a time, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, because I need to accomplish it. I need to achieve. I want to, to the point where I get up early, 5, 5.30, and I jump right into that. And because it's a good thing and might benefit my family, I begin to justify, I don't need, I don't need to spend time with God. In fact, God would be pleased if I, that I'm doing this first. And suddenly this good thing starts pushing God down the priorities in my life. And I'm getting up early to jump into my project to accomplish my goals, and I will Justify it, excuse it, rationalize it, because I'm doing it for you, God. And what I'm really doing is doing it for me and just pushing him aside because now this thing, which is not bad in and of itself and which may reap financial or whatever help, this thing has become a functional God and big G God just gets pushed to the side. That's just, a, that's just what we call that, I guess, confession, right, Bill? That's just confession, but I also know how hard it is. 
to admit that. Because you're in the middle of it, and you're so fired up, and you're so enthusiastic about it, and you see so much good that's going to come of this. And all the while, it's, it's growing in its idol, idolatry in my life, and the big G God, as this grows, big G God shrinks. And it affects my relationship at home, it affects my relationship with my kids, it affects how I serve around here. Why? Because this good thing became an idol. It became the ultimate thing. And the tricky part, the deception, was it was good. Just, just, I just got to do this. How many of you have ever said, just a bit, hon, just a little bit longer, I got this. How many? And, and you're right, I'll, I'll get to it, honey. I'll get to those chores. And, and you never got to it, did you? You never got to it. Because you, this, this thing consumed you. And so the, the, the challenge for us today is what's consuming you? What's functioning as God in your life rather than God? And it might be a really good thing. It just might be a really good thing, and that's what makes it so hard to give up. So hard to give up. But, 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 if I only, but, yeah, yeah. And then that's where we talked about, it's really an element of faith and trust. Do I trust God enough to provide the needs of my family if I keep him first? Or do I need to function as God and take his place and push him to the side? I can become an idol. My intellect, my self-sufficiency, my self-reliance, I can become the functioning God in my life to the point where I don't need the real God because I'm functioning as God. I'm the idol. So what are you, what are, what's your source? What are you standing firm in today? Right? Psalm 106. They worship their idols, which became a snare to them. It's a snare, guys. And the challenge is it's not this evil, wicked, scary snare. It's a snare that just ropes you in little by little by little. And then you're comfortable, and then you're complacent. Then you don't need to come to church anymore. Then you don't need to pray then you don't need to read your Bible. Then you don't need the community and the fellowship of believers. Why? Because you've been entrapped and you've been ensnared by an idol that is functioning as God in your life. That's the danger in all of this. And that's why today, the Lord's just like, we gotta stop here. In love and compassion, just Peel the layers back and just have a moment, a morning of honesty, okay? Because there are consequences. James 4, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Is there anything wrong with planning? Is there anything wrong with making a profit? What is the problem with this passage? They completely left God out of the picture. 
They were so prideful and arrogant in their plan, in their good plan to make a profit, maybe employ people, maybe provide for, it was all good. There's nothing bad except for the fact that this idol pushed God completely out of the picture. And some of us do the same thing. I do the same thing. We get these plans and we don't even, we're not even willing to submit it to God on the front end and say, Lord, what do you think about this? I once asked uh, Tina, Ty, can you turn the AC and make it a little cooler? I once asked the, um, some teenagers this question, and maybe some adults in all the years. I forget how often I've asked it. I said, hey, if you know, how many of you follow Powerball when it gets really big? Right? Just in the news. Oh, it's 500 million. Oh, it's 600 million, right? Oh, it's a billion, right? And I, it's so funny. I've heard the classic, uh, well, if I won that, Pastor, I would tithe. I, I, I love hearing that, right? If I won the Powerball, first thing I would do is tithe to the well. I'm like, rock on with that, okay. But it's so interesting because I asked this question. I said, you know what? If God knew that winning a billion dollars in the Powerball would ruin your relationship with him and ruin your life, do you trust God enough to never, ever let you win the Powerball? Some of you right now are struggling hard with that question. I could, it wouldn't ruin me. A bill, I would go more than 10%. I would give 20% to the well. If God knows how much money in your life, forget the Powerball. If God knows how much money in your life or some achievement or something in your life would ruin your walk with him or your relationships at home or your testimony, do you trust God enough to let him never let you get it. Do you trust God enough to take away anything that might replace him in your life? But, 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 I really want that promotion. Yeah, but if you take that promotion, it might ruin you. Yeah, but we could really use the money. Yeah, I know, but the hours and what it would do. Da, da, da. Yeah, I know. But it's a, but, yeah, I know, I, you're, you're, you're arguing with the choir because I've had the same arguments with God, right? Same thing. I've even struggled here, not struggled, I mean, maybe, I mean, but this is a hard word, challenged. You know, I talked about the success syndrome in ministry. If I go down that route, well, maybe we need to bring in guest speakers. That's what we need to boost attendance around here. We need, to, we need to bring in celebrities and sports athletes. That'll fill this place. What I don't tell you is that'll make me feel really good because we have a full place. See, I can, go, I can play these games too. Oh, yeah, you know, we need this celebrity. We need this person. It's really going to attract people. No, I praise God that I'm surrounded by elders Pastors and elders, where quite frankly, I'm just to be honest with you, at the well, we have surrendered the attendance and the quote unquote, however you want to define success of the well, this is God's church. We are going to be true to preaching God's word. We are going to stand firm in the Lord, which means we're going to preach the word, we're going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to leave the results to him. 
That's been true since we were in Cindy's house right over there in this community when there was 12 of us on the very first Saturday night. We just said, okay, I don't know. We're just doing a Bible study. And then we grew, went to the Wesleyan Church, went to 40, 30, 40. Then we came here like five years ago. And see, if I get caught up in all my planning and all my fleshly thinking of success syndrome, and this becomes an idol, in the end, we all suffer. And so my faith, I'll be honest with you, my step of faith is not to get hung up on numbers because I'm a real number-driven guy. I used to serve in mega churches in, in San Diego. My first church, I was a high school pastor. We had 4,000 people. Moved to Oceanside, another 3,000, 4,000 person church. I know big church. I know the dynamic. I know, how, I, I know the excitement of it. Where are you moving to? Ojai. How many in the church? Right. How many come to your church? Under 1,000. I come from the world of big church, and I'm just going to be point blank honest with you, in my flesh, in the world of standing behind here, because I'm so ingrained and I've seen the bigness of, of it, it is a faith step every day for me to surrender this and keep it where it needs to be. Even through the summer, when Mark joked that there was more people singing up here than were, were out here, because y'all were traveling and on vacations, there was, one, there was one Sunday when Mark joked that there was more people here than here. He has no idea how much I was spinning that day. I'm like, wow. He's not, he's not joking. There's like 10 people here and 10 people here. And I had to like, honestly, it was a gut check for me. It's a gut check because this so easily for me because I know it so well and I'm performance driven, this can become an idol. And I have to struggle every day not to let this be an idol and not let this be my source of stability, my source of security in my life. Because I have no control over you. Right? And so, what is your source of stability today? What drives you? What motivates you? What's functioning as God? Is it the numbers, the digits in your bank account? Is it your title? Is it your position? Is it, I don't know, what is it? What is it? And then the Lord knows us so well that in Deuteronomy, he knows what can happen if we win the lottery. Check out, check out what he says in Deuteronomy 8. I love this. If, we, if you won the Powerball, look at this. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. 
Doesn't he know us so well? Doesn't he know us so well? Oh, Lord, please, please, I want to build it. We build it, he blesses it, and we forget him. Look what I did. Because now this became an idol, and this is my functioning God. And it's because I did it, all my hard work. I share this with you today because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in 23 years with the church. But from what I've been reading in current events, and I try to stay up as much as possible and not get swayed one way or the other, my sense is that the end of this quarter in this country with the midterms and with the economy and with global events, the end of this quarter and into 2023, we're in for a bit of a ride as a country. And we're going to need to really individually and as a church take some moments to ask ourselves, where are we standing firm? Are we standing firm in the Lord? Are you standing firm in the Lord? Or are you looking to politics for your security and stability? Because some in the church are. Their source of stability and security is who's in, in the White House, if you're honest. The economy, the inflation rate, supply chain issues, Ukraine, Russia, nuclear war, China. All of this can spin you if you're not standing firm in the Lord. All of this can turn you inside out if you're looking at man and the things of man and the things of this world for your stability and security. If you, anything but God as a functional God does you in, sends you down these roads. And so this morning, you know, I just kind of want to begin just wrap this up and again give you an opportunity to just have a moment of honesty. You remember when Jesus had this um, conversation with the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler said hey you know good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus you know he says you know i don't remember the commandments he says i can be, i keep those commandments come on and he says well you know what one thing you lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me but when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, what was Jesus touching right there? His source of stability and security. You see, this rich young ruler in his heart of hearts, it wasn't just that he had so much, it was that what he had, had him. It was his source of stability and security and Jesus says, hey, Will you give all that up and let me be your source of stability and security? One person says it this way. Jesus does not ask all believers to sell everything they have. He does ask each person, however, to get rid of anything that has become more important than God. If your basis for security has shifted from God to what you own, you may need to get rid of those possessions. What is the basis, the source of your security today, your stability? If you were honest, you would say, I'm standing firm in fill in the blank. And it might be the Lord. I'm not discounting that it is, but it might be the Lord plus. Is it just the Lord? Is it just the Lord? 
The Bible exposition commentary says this, it is not possessing riches that keeps people out of heaven for Abraham, David, and Solomon were wealthy men. It is being possessed by riches and trusting them that makes salvation difficult for the wealthy. Wealth gives people a false sense of success and security, and when people are satisfied with themselves, they feel no need for God. That's what concerns me about the church moving forward, especially in the United States, especially in Ojai. That there are things in our life that make us pretty satisfied with ourselves. We're comfortable. My guess is most of you have an abundance of food in your pantries, in your refrigerators right now. You're not, you're not wanting like other countries are really wanting. You have an abundance of clothes. You probably have too many clothes, right? You, those are some nice cars right there. So we can become satisfied in ourselves to where we honestly don't need God because we have more than one functioning God in our life. The challenge with that is it's a deception because those worldly functioning gods can be taken away just like that. Just like that. And yet, you know, there's a thing called the normalcy bias. And a lot of people have this thing called the normalcy bias where they just literally believe everything is going to be normal. And they try, they, they don't heed warnings, they don't heed, you know, input from what, hey, check this out, hey, hey, be careful. They, they, they're so stuck in a normalcy bias that they, they, they have blinders on that they can't see anything else. And sometimes in our life as believers, we get so comfortable and things are so routine and da, 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 that we're satisfied. And one of the tells, I'm going to be honest with you, one of the tells when people are satisfied is their interactions with the local church. Because they just don't need church. They don't need the fellowship. They don't need the worship. It's no longer a priority. It's when it's convenient. Or there's a crisis. See, if God is my source of stability and security, if I truly, just me, not Pastor Richie, but Richie, I'm standing firm in the Lord. I need the church. I need fellowship. I need brothers and sisters praying for me. I need to be in the word. I need prayer. Because he is the source of my stability and security. Amen? Amen. And so I want to, I want to foster that. I want to nurture that. I want to be so tight with my source of stability and security, the Lord. And I'm going to put things around me in place that are going to help that relationship. I'm going to do everything I can. It was amazing. I, I've never experienced this before. I share this a little bit. My first church, I thought it was a mega church. God was moving so much in that church, so much enthusiasm for the Lord that they had a, a Sunday night service, start about 5 o'clock. At like 4.30, they had to keep the doors closed because people were coming early to get the best seats for church. It was like this concert feel for a Bible study. And then they would open the doors right before five and people would just kind of race each other to get to the front. It was amazing. And it wasn't fake or phony. These people just wanted to be there and be at church and there was so much life and vibrancy. I'm like, what? Because they wanted, it was priority. It was, it was just, they had to be there. 
Sunday at five, they had to be there. Let's do this. Let's do this, right? And so I want to encourage you, take some time today, this week. I know it's layered, and I know, man, because I know me, I'm going to assume that for some of you it's going to be really tough because if you're like me, I can justify, rationalize a whole lot pretty quickly. But there, God showed me some things in my life that I got some functional gods. You want to call them idols, I got idols. That helped me feel a little bit more secure because I'm a little bit more in control. At least I think I am. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I love that. What's your chariot and what's your horse? What's your chariot and what's your horse? Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Leave that up for a sec. See, that reflects someone standing firm in the Lord. That's the cry. That's the statement of someone standing firm in the Lord. This person is all in. Right? Kind of sums it up. My rock. He's my rock. What's your rock? What's my rock? What are you standing on today? What are you standing on? Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Keep that up. It says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Maybe the lack of peace you've had. Maybe the anxieties, the fear, the discouragement, the depression. Maybe everything you've been experiencing is because you're not standing on the rock. And your mind hasn't been stayed on him. Look at that. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in him as your rock or is there other, some other functional God that you're trusting in? And probably the challenging, most challenging for me is just the functional God, God called self. I was raised self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent, don't ask for help, only punks ask for help, don't admit failure, don't admit when you're injured, don't, you don't need anyone, don't ask for help, all of it, I get it. And all, the only thing that did was lead me to the functional God called self. It's one of my challenges. It's what keeps me humble. Is when there's the battle between the idol called self and the true God. And who's going to be on the throne of my life? And where am I looking for my true source? And then finally in Philippians 1.27 he says this, Paul only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, he's speaking of the church in Philippi, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here's the, here's the encouragement, guys. This standing firm in the Lord, we need each other to stand firm. 
This isn't just, oh, I got to stand for him all by myself and it's just up to me. No. It's coming clean to a brother and sister and say, hey, you know what, man? I've been trusting way too much in my money. I got so much anxiety about whatever. That's when you need each other. That's when the value of coming here on a Sunday, you know why we, what's so valuable about coming here? Because I hope that when you leave here in a few minutes, it will have helped you stand firm in the Lord. Through worship, through the word, through fellowship, even through coffee and donuts and cheese, I hope when you get in your car, you stand firm in the Lord. And it prepares you for whatever lies ahead in the next seven days. Amen? That's why we do this week in and week out for the last 13 years. To stand firm in the Lord together. To stand firm in the Lord together. And then the last few months, we've had privilege to celebrate memorials as, as some of the dear saints have gone to see Jesus. And we're just going to keep being the well, and we're going to keep being faithful to God. We're going to keep preaching his word. We're going to keep standing firm in the faith until all of us go to Jesus or he comes back. That's just what we're going to do. That's what we do as a church, is we stand firm in the Lord together. Do we do it perfectly? No. Do I insert foot in mouth repeatedly? Yes. Do I have to ask forgiveness from people? Yes. But like Paul said in Philippians 4.1, I love you. Pray for you. You're not my idol. And that's a good thing for your sake. Because you would be miserable if you were. But we're going we're gonna to stand firm in the faith together. I do not know what the end of this year holds. I do not know what 2023 holds. But as they say, we know who holds it all together anyway. Amen. It's our Father. It's not just God. It's our Father. And because we are in Christ, Father is pleased with you. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Got to get my announcement voice on. So, um, <laughs> Hey, I have the privilege of announcing uh, Life Choices, uh, which is a great organi organization here in Ojai that provides services for uh, pregnant women who uh, need some help. They are having their annual fundraiser. Their, their Walk of Compassion is going to be happening um, this Saturday at 8.30 in the morning. They make it super easy for you. You show up. You register. You walk and you pray and have a good time. So it's a great time to gather as a, a church of the valley and just everyone getting together to um, to just provide provide some help for them because they provide help for uh, those in need. Um, the amount of diapers that they give out is incredible. So they do really good work. So if you uh, want to join in on Saturday, 8:30, that's when they will be there. All right, thanks. Yes, thanks, Matt. Uh, and lastly, we've got a couple youth announcements. Uh, we will not be meeting for Bible study or youth group this week. Yes, sad. But that is because we'll be going to our apologetics conference uh, Friday and Saturday. That's right. I don't know who said that. But let's go. Uh, and just so you know, the parents know, I'll be sending an email out with uh, all the details when we're going to meet up, things to bring and stuff like that. So if you do have any questions, you can see me afterwards. You know, call me, you know, email me, things like that. Uh, and that's it for our announcements. Very short.